Everybody. Welcome to episode 180 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this will be my penultimate episode covering season two of the Salt Kind Produced Superboy television series, which ran in syndication from 1988 until 1992. I'll be covering episodes 23 and 24, Revenge from the Deep, and The Secrets of Superboy. So after this, the uh, next episode covers the uh, last two episodes before we head into another Pretty massive change for the television series. But before we get to that, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode... I don't have it in my notes here. I think this is 169, I want to say. It is the first episode in which I discussed season two episodes with this Ring IV kill and Lex Luthor sentenced to death. So, Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Season 2 of this series is following a bit of an opposite path to the George Reeves and Adventures of Superman series. In the Reeves series, the first season is pretty dark, with later seasons being more light, where this one seems to be getting darker, at least going from the first to second season. Since I love Lex Luthor as a character, you know I love two back-to-back Luthor-centric stories. That seems to me a very good way to launch the second season of the show, especially with so many cast changes. With this ring, Ivy Kill gives us explanations for some of the different casting. A new actor for Lex and a new roommate for Clark. I think Gerard Christopher looks enough like a classic Superboy that an in-story explanation for the different actor is even less necessary than when Bewitched changed Darren's. Of the two episodes, I think Lex Luthor's sentence to death was a more interesting one with, with, with this ring being more set up for the resolution in Sentence to Death. Although, as you suggested, the second episode could have been improved by being expanded into another episode. It was good to see Professor Peterson again, helping Superboy regain his powers. In this episode, too, Lex's tale of loving, then killing a puppy, certainly solidifies his standing as an evil guy. Of course, the title tells us that Lex is sentenced to death, but we know he's not actually going to die. You just don't get rid of a villain as good as Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. You wondered at one point whether the electric chair was still being used in 1989? In Florida, where Schuster College or University is located, the infamous Ted Bundy was electrocuted in 1989. And by the way, in the season one episode, Hollywood, in which Superboy goes back to Hollywood in 1939, he tells the actress, Victoria Latour, that it goes to Schuster University. Live long and prosper, Dave. Well, as always, Dave, thank you for writing in. You know, I didn't really think about the connection to... Well, there really isn't a connection to the George Reeves series, but I, I didn't think about the opposite path because... With the George Reeves show, it was much more of a progression. I don't need to go back into the uh, story about how the show filmed the first season without a sponsor, which allowed for the more dark and gritty crime noir stories, which the first season is known for. But And as you know, Dave, once the sponsor Kellogg's Pep got involved, they uh, wanted the show to lighten up a little bit to market it to children. And the show did get really kiddy as we got toward the end of the series. And... I think, I mean, while this show is going to have some dark episodes, I don't think 
that it's too much. I think this show did a good job of kind of showing the balance where you can do, you know, a dark and heavy story that deconstructs the character a little bit, but you can do also your fun romp as well. I mean, I mean, just look, I mean, you talked about darkness with, uh, where it's a little bit darker with these two Lex Luthor stories, but in the same season, you also have knickknack. So it's not really that dark. There's some dark stories and there's some great stories that tackle some serious issues. I never feel this show does that and goes too dour. And although, Dave, as far as uh, you calling this two back-to-back Luthor-centric stories, this is really one story over two episodes. You know, if you look at the, just the episode titles, if you look at the a list of the episode titles of season two, it's kind of deceiving where there are many two-part episodes in this season, but they're kind of disguised by the fact that the episodes have different titles, where... In seasons three and four, the two parters are going to be very much part one and part two. So this is really one story. And I do like the explanation for the new Lex and the new roommate for Clark. You know, with Lex, you can get away with it. But and yes, Gerard Christopher looks enough like a classic Superboy that you don't need an in-story explanation. But like I said in this episode, you can't really do an in-story explanation. You just kind of have to accept it and move on. You know, and things were a lot different back then, too. I mean. Season two premiered months after the last season one episode. How many people were going back and, well, I'm sure some of us uh, comics nerds with VCRs were doing it. I wasn't. I didn't really catch on to the show till season three. But for most of the show's viewers who weren't as plugged in as some of the others, whose last viewing of Superboy was John Haynes Newton months earlier and then Gerard Christopher, did they even notice? And did they care? I mean, you can't recast the lead now in a show. Look at what we went through with Batwoman or are going through with Batwoman. They couldn't just recast the character and move on. There's probably a point where the audience wouldn't accept it. Audiences back then did. In the 50s, audiences just rolled with the new Lois Lane. Went from Phyllis Coates to to Noel Neal. Maybe some preferred Phyllis to Noel. But I don't know if it broke anyone's enjoyment of the show. I mean, for decades, we just kind of went from one James Bond to the other, assuming it's the same guy. We had, they had to reboot with Daniel Craig. Are they going to have to reboot again with the next Bond? I mean, we're getting to a point where it just seems the audiences nowadays are becoming less sophisticated than they used to be, where they can't just accept that. Sometimes you have, just have to recast the character and move on. And it's kind of a thing that annoys me. So we're going to move on. And uh, yes, it was good to see Professor Peterson again. I'm kind of bummed that we're not going to see Professor Peterson anymore. But yes, uh, Sherman Howard has definitely, definitely sold the evil Lex Luthor and solidified his standing as an evil guy much better than Scott Wells did. And, uh, yeah, no one's killing off Lex Luthor. And uh, thank you, Dave, for cluing me in about the electric chair still being in use in 1989 in Florida. And, yeah, the Schuster College University thing is just going to bug me as we go forward. I do believe in season three it'll be back to university. But that's a complaint for another day. At this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. And when I come back, revenge from the deep. Hang around, folks. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down Or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair They stand for truth and justice And see a land In there Aquaman and Firestorm They make a super pair 
Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available at Fire and Water Podcast, Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? It's bad enough. I have to put up with your shenanigans every... All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with Revenge from the Deep, episode 23 of season two. Original broadcast date was April 28th, 1990. Directed by Andre R. Gutfreund. Written by Toby Martin. Guest cast include uh, Michael Shaner as Charlie. Donatella, who I know nothing about, portrayed Ariana. You would think with just one name, uh, I'd know a little bit more about her, but or be able to find a little more information on her. But she only has two acting credits, according to uh, IMDb. So Steve Latshaw as the announcer. Judy Johns as Heather. D. Christian Goshaw as the bartender. Connie Adams as Susie. Steve Zirk as the Beach Patrol Officer, and Rick Pero as the Biker. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. In the 60s, a man is trying to make a play for a blonde at a local bar until a brunette comes over and reveals who he really is. So, did you say you were from around here? No. I'm from down under. Australia? <laughs> no, um, just down under. Okay. Name's Charlie. Charlie? <laughs> As in Charlie the Tuna. Yeah. Come, it is time for us to go. I've told you before, Ariana. I've decided to stay. You know better, Avar. We don't belong. We are not meant to be here. What did she call you, Charlie? <laughs> I'm very happy here, Ariana. I have every desire to stay here. Desire is a weakness we are not permitted. Not with their kind. Listen, Charlie, or whatever your name is, I have to go. Come with me. Why are you doing this to me? To us? I need to get away from you, Ariana. You and I are soulmates. We belong together. No. Not this time. Not this time. She professes her love for him, and then he turns her into a crystal and throws her into the water. Out on the beach, Andy is searching for treasure with Lana tagging along. Lana walks down the beach alone and finds Ariana's crystal in the water. Clark shows up just as Andy screams that he found something. Clark goes to help him dig it out, but it's only junk. Later at the dorm, Lana puts the crystal aside and lies down. The crystal disappears and possesses Lana's body. When she rises from the bed, she grabs some clothes and alters them, reverting her style to the 60s. She walks through the halls past Clark, ignoring him. Ariana, as Lana, goes to the bar looking for Charlie. Could you tell me where I can find a man named Charlie? That good for nothing? You don't want anything to do with him, sweetheart. Where does he live? He, he lives in the marina. And then causes damage on her way out. 
Back at the dorm, Clark is concerned that Lana didn't return the night before. He sees a report on TV that a powerful woman from the 60s destroyed the bar. Clark goes there to investigate. While he talks to the bartender, a biker chick hits on him. Excuse me, I'm Clark Kent, Schuster Herald. I'm here to do a follow-up story on the girl that was here yesterday. Hey, Stud Muffin, I, uh, I don't remember seeing you here before. I usually don't hang out in places like this. Well, uh, what brings you here? Um, I'm here to get a lead on the girl that was here yesterday. Forget that witch. You don't need her, you've got me now. <laughs> like hell he does. <coughs> I'm gonna stick you like a pig! Clark blows him away with his super breath, causing a chain reaction of more damage. Enough! Enough! You're worse than that psycho dame! She went looking for old Charlie at the marina. Charlie? He lives in the dump of a houseboat. Thanks. Um, I'd be glad to pay for part of the damage. Just get out of my bar and don't come back. That's payment enough. Ariana goes to the marina and finds Charlie's slip. After she goes inside, Lana temporarily takes back control of her body. Who are you? Well, I, I live here. Uh, will you help me? Well, whatever it is, it can't be as bad as all that now, can it? You want to talk? I'm willing to listen. I'm sure you're willing to do far more than that, Tavar. Ariana? Ariana? Can it be? Is that really you? Your folly has cost you dearly. You're nothing more than a withered shell. Yes, but I've learned so much being amongst these surface dwellers. When they love each other, they remain separate and independent and free. You know better. We are soulmates, meant to be one. That is the only form of love that sustains us. But you cast a spell that kept me from becoming a human again. You deserted me forever! No. It was not forever. For what it's worth, I always plan to come back for you someday. Oh. Well, I've been making plans, too. For revenge! Ahoy! Clark Kent, Schuster Herald. Yeah, what can I do? What can I do for you? Would you be Charlie? Some people call me that, yeah. I'm looking for a young lady who wrecked the anchor bar yesterday. Somebody told me I could find her here. You know her? It's Lana Lang, a friend of mine. A good friend. Lana? I am Ariana. Lana is under my control now. What's going on here? I channeled my essence through the first person that found me. Lana, it's me. Clark. Clark! 
Don't let me hurt you. I don't want to hurt anyone. No more talk. Now there's only revenge. As he tries to talk to Ariana, she attacks both him and Charlie with their power. The fight continues outside the boat, where Ariana's power throws Clark into a storage box. As Ariana corners Charlie to finish him off, Superboy comes out of the storage box. She tries to use her power on him, but Superboy grabs a metal lid and reflects it back to her, draining her. She then collapses, dying. What have I done? It's all my fault. The surface dwellers intrigued us. Ariana and I became humans for a moon cycle. But I decided to stay. She protested. So I had to abandon her. Her heartbeat's slowing down. She's dying. Her spirit depleted itself, fighting you. She's given up. She's ready to die. You can't take her. I want her back. Superboy is hopeless. Ariana can't be alone. She thinks we're never going to be together again. I'm sorry, Superboy. I can't fight her anymore. No, you're not. I won't let you go, Lana. I want you back. I love you. Avar. The bond between these two are so strong. It brought the human back from the brink of death. Perhaps there's still hope for us. Ariana's ready to go back now. After we get back, can you drop us off in the sea? I'll be back. All right, so this episode starts off in the 1960s with, uh, in this club, a bunch of people dancing to Wipeout, of all things. So, uh... We start off with this one guy. He's uh, talking to this woman at this club there, and he tells her he's from down under. And understandably so, she thinks that he's talking about Australia. And But he says no to that, too. So I'm not sure where this woman thinks he came from, but or if she knows of any other down under. But the point quickly becomes moot as this other woman comes up, and uh, she looks a little older, but this is Ariana, and 
she tells him that it's time to go and that we learn that charlie uh does not belong and charlie goes by another name that i believe is mentioned somewhere in the episode i didn't really get it get a note of it it was only said once but his date was kind of perturbed that his name seemed to be charlie because he must have told her his name was something else so you know when that happens as most women do she uh extricates herself from that situation doesn't want to be uh involved with that anymore and i can't really say i blame her so basically what this show did was this whole 60s segment was done in black and white and shows will do that you know for flashbacks sometimes just to kind of differentiate i'm not necessarily sure why the show needed to go black and white to tell us especially when there was a title card that told us that this was the 60s and again i'm not sure why 60s was spelled out but there it is so and not to mention Charlie is wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Black and white does nothing for the colors. So Charlie wants to kind of get away from Ariana, and Ariana doesn't want him to. She claims that their soulmates and belong together, and apparently at this point, Ariana seems to want to go back to the sea. We don't know that yet, but that's kind of what I'm guessing from the episode. And uh, instead, Charlie just kind of strangles her because he doesn't want to be with her anymore or right now, and then she kind of disappears into this little crystal which i thought kind of looked like a seashell and he just kind of tossed it into the water so that's going to be our premise for this episode so with the return of color comes our transition into the present time now i don't know how these shows originally aired if there was a cold open or or when the opening sequence actually fell did the show just start with the opening sequence and then kind of go into this first bit if this show opened with a cold open that would, would just kind of seem to be a good place to cut the credits so as it gives us the premise of our episode. And when we get to the present, this episode gives us a chance to gaze upon Stacey Heideck in her bikini. And I'm pretty sure this, um, the male gaze here stops after this season as they're going to be less college students and more full-time workers at the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters uh, next season. Andy's wearing his regular beach attire, which means an ugly shirt and shorts. And he's got one of those metal detectors that you normally saw an old man walking around the beach with. You know, the, you'd see these, these people kind of walking around the beach looking for, I guess, soda cans or stuff like that. Well, Andy is looking for treasure. And the metal detector goes over this uh, crazy spot. And Andy is so excited that he appears to trade away his metal detector for a shovel. He just kind of gives it to uh, these kids that are digging a hole. And you can kind of see the kid behind it with the metal detector kind of moving around looking at it, uh, kind of saying, what the hell do I do with this thing? And uh, I was waiting for the kid to just walk away with it. Honestly, it's kind of funny because I was more interested in the kids in the background than what Andy was doing. So, giving less than a crap of what Andy about what Andy's doing, Lana wanders off and finds uh, the shell or the crystal that Charlie threw in the water at least 20 years earlier. Probably more than that if it says the 60s. This is now uh, early 1990. Amazing that the crystal hasn't moved in 20 plus years. At this point, Clark shows up, not dressed for the beach at all, and Andy finds his treasure or... So he thinks, and I like Clark's expression because he x-rays the sand and he knows that Andy hasn't found anything. And Andy finds some piece of the, a boat's motor or something like that. And basically all that happens is we get Clark and Lana laughing at Andy's misfortune. This is probably the first time I've actually ever seen Gerard Christopher's version of Clark Kent laugh at somebody else. I'll be honest, I kind of like it. It does remind me a little bit of uh, the John Haynes Newton Clark. And I'm going to take a definite look at season three, how Clark is betrayed, because I don't really remember Clark being this nerdy when I, from when I watched the show. 
when it was on. I wonder if this is something that's going to evolve as we get into uh, season three. And uh, Dante had insult the injury. Not only has he not found any uh, buried treasure, but he's also going to get a $50 fine for littering if he doesn't do something with this uh, rusted out uh, engine part. I must say, Lana has picked up a nice looking seashell. Uh, my daughter would probably have picked up some, picked that up if she saw that at the beach. So Lana takes it back to her dorm, goes to bed. The shell transforms into some red wavy energy and zips into Lana's sleeping body. And there you go. Ariana lives again and she's uh, checking out Lana's stuff, cuts the uh, sleeves off of a shirt and has fashioned a 60s style dress. It is good of Lana to have all the necessary material that Ariana needs to create her fashion. Apparently, her fashion sense has not changed in the 20 plus years that she's been a seashell. And uh, she also did Lana's hair and makeup. So well, there you go. She's uh, giving Lana Lang a makeover. So Clark says hi and kind of wonder why Lana is all dressed up in a short dress as she walks by. And uh, since uh, she blows them off, Clark takes off his glasses. And uh, this is obviously a job for Superboy. Yeah, you know, Lana blows them off. So the first thing he uh, decides to do is change into Superboy. Well, he doesn't. But so I don't know why he took his glasses off. We don't see Superboy yet for a little while. So here's a biker bar which I, I believe may or may not be on the location of the same club as the opening segment. It probably is, because then it would make sense that why Ariana would go there. This biker uh, whispers something into Ariana's ear and uh, that she didn't like it, and she just kind of batted her eyes, admitted some energy, and this guy flew into the jukebox. So Ariana is looking for Charlie and not interested in these guys at all. And she basically just is kind of emitting energy from herself and wrecking the bar. So, yeah, this will be a job for Superboy. You know, like I said, she's, only look, she's looking for Charlie. I mean, there could be a, a ton of Charlies. It's not exactly a rare name. So eventually she leaves. So now uh, Clark is at the biker bar looking nervous as hell coming into this place. He is shaking like a leaf and acting awkwardly. This is not the place where you normally see Clark in. And you can see he's uh, really overselling how uncomfortable he is here. I think this is overdone. So now this uh, biker woman is hitting on Clark and... Uh, her overweight boyfriend named Tiny is ready to fight Clark because he's pumped full of probably pumped full of beer and drugs and doesn't want anyone hitting on his woman. Even though this is at 1990, the 80s haven't left us quite yet. And uh, so Clark sneezes, blows Tiny into a table, and there's uh, a small scuffle and uh, the bartender is pissed. Probably because he just replaced all his damn furniture and now has to replace it all again. And I love how he tells Clark what he wants to know and basically tells him to get the hell out. I love how this biker bartender is so scared after the last two incidents. Probably because they're more than just random bar fights. This is more than your standard Ace of Clubs bar fight at Bibos. This bartender witnessed superpowers last night, and he uh, kind of saw Clark super sneeze as well, I think. And he's had enough. Just and Clark tries to... Give him some token money for the damage. It looked like he pulled out like 20 bucks or something. And uh, the bartender kicks him out saying, get out. That's payment enough. Don't come back. And I don't, I don't know, bartender. I don't think you got to worry about Clark coming back to this place. And it's just hysterical scene. What we're supposed to think is this tough biker bartender crying over the broken furniture. Like, oh, there's my lamp and my table and my chairs. He's probably crying because he's going to have to pay for it. I'm not sure if the insurance company covers super-powered bar fights. And honestly, if I had to make that expenditure twice in this, in as many days, I'd probably be crying too. But you would think this is the kind of place where that kind of stuff happens. So Ariana goes to what I presume is Charlie's boat 
It's kind of a mess, and that's and there's Charlie sleeping. I was half expecting Charlie to have not aged at all, but it looks as though he's uh, aged 20 years with some gray around the temples. You want to age somebody? Put some gray around the temples. That does it in comics, and it does the job here as well. And then all of a sudden, and I suspected this when it happened, and it's confirmed later in the episode, that all of a sudden Ariana asks for help. That's Lana fighting through and taking control of her body for a few seconds here and a few seconds there. And then at this point, we first hear Charlie refer to the humans as surface dwellers. So that tells me that Charlie and Ariana live underwater. And, you know, when I hear surface dwellers, I tend to think of, especially in the D- in the DC Comics realm, that's how Aquaman's people in Atlantis tend to describe humans. And I don't know if they did this on purpose, but there kind of is a slight nod to Aquaman here. As underneath uh, his open uh, button-down Hawaiian shirt, it does look like Charlie is wearing an orange t-shirt. But this is as much Aquaman as you're going to get. But So they do live underwater, but there's no mention of anything else. So now Clark shows up and tells Charlie who Ariana is inhabiting. And just hearing Clark's name kind of brings out Lana for a few seconds. And uh, I do like how Stacey Heideck does a great job of going from the very, you know, in control Ariana to the pained Lana who's struggling with the strain of trying to fight through our Ariana's dominant personality to take charge. But Ariana grabs the body back and fires some energy at Clark who uses his super breath on Ariana in plain sight. I guess uh, being that Charlie is also of this other world, I guess you can call it, that Clark is not really worried about hiding his Superboy identity. But I am surprised that he hasn't changed Superboy yet. And I thought when she was firing energy at Clark, he seemed to be overselling it so he can change. But he doesn't change, at least not right away. And now she focuses on Charlie, who never stopped loving her, which is kind of a hard sell considering that he locked her in a seashell for 20 years. Or maybe that the seashell is her natural form or whatever. But whatever it was, he left her at the bottom of the ocean there for two decades. More, actually. So... Eventually, Superboy shows up, and uh, he wants Ariana out of Lana. For a moment, Lana comes out, tells Superboy to fight her. So, okay, Lana is willing uh, to let Superboy fight with Ariana, who is inhabiting her body. So, this is a very quick fight. Apparently, uh, reflecting the energy does the trick, and Ariana doesn't seem to be very smart, as she never learns not to aim at the mirror, and eventually, she is rendered unconscious. And uh, Superboy is feeling guilty again, again, more uh, resting Gerard Christopher guilt face. Because he thinks he killed Lana. You know, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to have to see if I can make... Uh, help me out, listeners. If we can make uh, Gerard Christopher resting guilt face uh, a hashtag. <laughs> so Superboy's method of getting Ariana to abandon Lana's body is to basically shake her violently. When does that ever work? So Lana can't fight anymore and uh, she's uh, ready to die. And uh, Superboy shakes her some more. <laughs> and when that doesn't work, he declares his love for her. And he gives her true love's first kiss. Yeah, you heard me. So Superboy's admission that he loves Lana is true. I'm not sure whether he loves Lana as Superboy or as Clark, or he just loves her because he's both Clark and Superboy, but it is enough to bring Lana from either dead or mostly dead or half dead. And she celebrates by landing a kiss on Superboy. And now I don't know if it's because she's uh, seen true love or is ready to vomit that uh, she's ready to go back to the water now. And at this point, Charlie has turned into a seashell as well. He has seen everything he's uh, need to see in uh, on the surface, 
So he's ready to go back into the ocean so they can uh, be seashells forever. So not really much to this episode to chew on. It's your basic possession story and the spell is broken by love. You know, I kind of wonder if it was worth it for Charlie to have done what he did for 20 plus years. It doesn't really seem like it as he looks like he was kind of just living uh, on a messy boat looking like a hobo. But that's kind of all I got for this episode. It was a good showcase for Stacey Heidek's range, but I thought she did a great job uh, as both Ariana and Lana trying to break through. I've said it before, and I definitely believed it in season one that that Stacey Heidek was the best actor on the show. And I do believe that Gerard Christopher is more of a match for her than John Hames Newton was. Andy is just kind of a third wheel to me. The one good thing about TJ not coming back was that it kind of allowed Lana to move into second position. Lana was more of the third wheel during the first season, and uh, her character got a definite promotion when they made the switch from TJ to Andy. But that's about all I got on that episode. Let's uh, move on to the next, shall we? And we'll do that right after this podcast promo break. It began with the return of an ancient evil. Ah! After 10,000 years, I'm free! It's time to conquer Earth! Alpha, we just escaped. Recruit a team of teenagers with attitude. This is the story of five teenagers. Not teenagers! Yes, teenagers. Specifically chosen to keep our planet safe as the Power Rangers! Ranger Chronicles. Every Tuesday as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with Secrets of Superboy. Original broadcast date was May 5th, 1990. This was episode 24 of season two. It was directed by Joe Ravitz, written by T. Gilmore and Mark Jones. The guest cast included Gilbert Gottfried as Nick Neck, Donna Lee Betts as Daisy, Roxy Stice as the girlfriend, and there are more guest stars listed, but they do not actually appear in the episode. They are from flashbacks to previous episodes and i'm just going to run through them really quickly kevin bernhard as dr byron shelley from run dracula run michael callen as metallo from super menace james michael detmar as kazook from yellow perry spell of doom phil fondacaro as the alien from nightmare island steve hanton as kazook from yellow perry's uh, spell of doom james michael detmar was just a voice steve hanson was Maybe the puppeteer or whatever. Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor from... I believe all the Lex Luthor scenes they used were from... With this ring, IV kill. I don't think they used anything from Lex Luthor sentenced to death. Elizabeth Kiefer as Loretta and Yellow Perry from Yellow Perry's Spell of Doom. Michael Mano as Leo from With this ring, IV kill. Jim McDonald as General Swan from Super Menace. And Barry Myers as Bizarro from... I believe they used... Uh, his scenes from the Battle of Bizarro. And I think I got all those right. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. Nick Knack stands in the chow line in prison and then disappears behind a passing laundry cart. As Schuster, the gang receives Game Boys in the mail as gifts. Clark has to leave to make a deadline for the Herald, but Lana and Andy play on theirs. At Nick's hideout, Daisy arrives. Oh, company! I love company! Oh, I forgive you. <laughs> oh, oh, my back, my back. 
Please let me go. 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 I forgive you, all right? And I'd like to show you my latest invention. Oh, I'm so happy you forgive me for letting Superboy go that time. Oh, here, make yourself comfortable. Sit down. I'll, I'll bring us something to eat in a little while. Here, let me uh, put you in here. I don't want you to fall out. I'm, I'm very concerned with you, you know? What are you doing, Nicknack? Oh, nothing. Here, I just... Oh, I, you, you might... The straps are tight. Well... They have to be. I can't move, Knick-Knack. Don't you see? You're going to be part of an experiment. You're going to test out my mind probe machine. Here. Boy, I don't want to see my electric bill this month. hours at the dorm andy is watching a movie with his date until he receives a call from knickknack when andy's buzzed with a subliminal device through the phone he leaves going to knickknack's hideout acting like a race car <laughs> the same thing happens when he calls lana she leaves pretending to be a choo-choo train At Nick's hideout, Daisy now turned into a life-size doll, lets Andy and Lana in, and they are strapped into the mind-probing machine. He turns over an hourglass, at which point Lana and Andy will be dead when the sand runs out. Nick asks about Lana, with what besides kryptonite can hurt Superboy. Lana has a flashback to Superboy's exposure to red kryptonite. Nick's not satisfied with that answer, so he asks Andy, and he flashes back to their adventure on Nightmare Island, when the aliens stole his powers. Nick still wants to know more, as Andy and Lana grow weaker, as the sand in the hourglass dwindles down, he asks if Ma Lana if magic can hurt Superboy. 
and she thinks about Superboy's encounter with Yellow Perry and Gazook. Meanwhile, Clark is at the dorm working on the deadline, unaware of his friend's whereabouts. Nick presses harder on Andy for answers, and he recalls Superboy is nearly being turned into a vampire at the hands of Byron Shelley. While Clark is still back at the dorm, oblivious, Nick presses Lana to know of a power as strong as Superboy. She flashes back to Superboy's conflict with his super-synthetic twin, Bizarro. Lana then begins to resist the memory of another instance when Superboy fell at the hands of Lex Luthor when she was forced to marry him. The hourglass has nearly run out, and at the dorm, Clark finally checks out his Game Boy to hear a subliminal message left by Knick-Knack. Superboy flies to the location and crashes in. He saves his friends in the nick of time, and he ties up Knick-Knack. He destroys his mind-probing equipment, and now that his friends are safe, The only thing you can ever count on is good guys always win. All right, so the synopsis and my run through the character list tells you what you need to know is that this episode is the much dreaded clip show. Clip shows are done in the case of many, at least many sitcoms when they have an episode where they want to save money, basically. Either they have something big planned for the finale, and honestly, I don't think this show has something big planned for the finale, judging by what I see of the next two episodes, or it is perhaps that the production is running out of money. Now, we are nearing the end of the season, and I'm kind of surprised that nobody had the foresight to make this the season finale because it's pretty much a summary of everything that happened this season. So that would kind of be a good way to run out the clock, so to speak, and then just go on. You see all this. I don't know how aware they were of the big changes they were going to make in season three at this point. But that would have been a you know, good way to kind of summarize this season before the big changes to come. Something similar is going to happen in season four, by the way. So this episode starts with the unwelcome mouth running of Gilbert Gottfried. I mentioned in last week's episode that I am not a fan of Gilbert Gottfried. Still not. But this episode doesn't torture us with his voice nearly as much. A lot more Clark and Anthony and a lot more flashbacks kind of give my bleeding ears a break. So he drops his tray and disappears alongside of this laundry cart, and I guess this is Knick-Knack's way out of prison. Here is Clark reading the paper as Andy and Lana come in. They all have Game Boys, which was the first, I believe, the first portable gaming system produced by Nintendo. No color. Can't even say it was really black and white. It was just lines. Before I had a Game Boy, I used to have a lot of those Tiger little handheld video games. Game Boy was the first one that really... Enabled you to put a car, take a cartridge in and out. And I had a Game Boy. I didn't really like it all that much. And I do believe it was the only portable system I ever owned. I don't recall if I had any other handheld systems after that, even after they went to color. Now the closest thing I have to a handheld video game system is my iPhone. But anyway, enough reminiscing about the uh, days of the original Game Boy. Well, either way, Clark can't play his Game Boy because he has a deadline. And I do remember the craze, but. Just not being too much of a fan of the system. Always hurt my eyes. So here's Nick in this warehouse, and here's Daisy coming in with her squeaky voice. I guess she didn't go to prison like Nick Nack did. And here we go, the competition of the mouth runners. And she is showing no concern about being strapped to a barber's chair. You would think she would, but she's not. But she does look confused. But then again, Daisy is confused about everything. And she's wearing a helmet with uh, sp- spikes in it, and uh, Nick Nack is going to test her his mind probe on her. Not a fun date night. 
You know, and I'm thinking that if Knickknack says he's going to probe Daisy's mind, I'm just hoping this woman has a mind to probe. And it is apparently hurting her brain. And she does say that, that her brain actually hurts. I'm glad to see that she has one. And we uh, see the first episode in which we were subjected to Knickknack. And now here is any awful boyfriend would. He's going to jack up the mind probe and he's going to kill her because he's not a nice person or something to that matter. When Gilbert Gottfried speaks, I tend to tune out. So the first thing I, I wondered uh, is whether he uh, whether he killed her or turned her into a cabbage. Judging by what they showed of uh, Daisy in the first few minutes of this episode and uh, all of the last one, probably giving her the intelligence of cabbage would be an improvement. And uh, Knickknack has learned uh, that he can kill with his machine in less than a minute because Daisy is D-E-A-D dead. I guess he can't push Superboy's friends that hard so he's lost daisy but now he has an idea and i am suddenly quite concerned so now it's horror night back at the dorm when andy with his date of the week and uh knickknack calls and interrupts and uh a little bit of a, bit of a buzz over the phone and andy is making what i thought was motorcycle sounds uh the synopsis uh said it was a race car neither here nor there but either way uh andy's on his way to see knickknack lana hang is aware enough to recognize knickknack's voice which when she gets her call but she gets zapped as well and uh, she's gonna march to next place uh as a choo-choo drain so now we've got a remote controlled daisy which is creepy so not only did he kill his girlfriend but he uh turned her into a doll yeah i think nick has got some problems too beyond being betrayed by gilbert Gottfried. so nick is going to use his mind control device on lana and andy to find out superboy's secrets at this point the only thing lana and andy have in common is that they've each touched the Game Boy. So this is the part where I started thinking that the Game Boys came from Knickknack. So we start with Lana. He wants to know what can hurt Superboy. So he she tells about the events of Super Menace where Superboy went bad and uh, due to the exposure to Red Kryptonite. And Knickknack sees things that Lana couldn't possibly have seen because she wasn't there. Unsatisfied with that, he goes deeper. The good thing about the clips is it gives us a break from Gottfried. So now it's Andy's turn. He looks like he's struggling to fight the effects of this device. Andy knows that the alien's machine can take Superboy's powers away, and uh, just what I wanted to revisit Nightmare Island. And I don't think this is going to work for Nick either, as the alien's machine is gone. Back to uh, whatever planet the alien came from. Back to Lana, as he asks about magic, and uh, now we get to uh, revisit Yellow Perry and her spell of doom. Once was enough, thank you very much. So, Clark, meanwhile, is back at the dorm. It's 1.32 a.m. He's sitting in his on his room uh, at his computer, and... Uh, Munching on the popcorn as, yeah, I guess he's working. You know, I've had to work at 1.32 in the morning, too, but why is his dorm room door just sitting wide open? Anyway, thanks to Andy, we're going to see Superboy's exposure to magic in Run Dracula Run, so we get at least uh, two magical instances. Lana is now dying. It's 1.46 a.m., and Clark is still working. You know, they cut back and forth to Clark, I guess trying to... You got to remember, they got to... Knickknack started doing what he was doing at 1 a.m. They have an hour. As the sands of the hourglass uh, dwindle to the end of Andy and Lana. So Nick is not concerned about Lana dying. And now Nick asks Lana about a power as strong as Superboy. And uh, we uh, flash back to the battle with Bizarro and my favorite ancient SWAT cop that I made a big deal about in that episode. Don't need to make a big deal about it again. Now, Lana doesn't want Nick to know of her marriage, quote unquote, to Lex Luthor in uh, With This Ring I Be Kill and the Superboy gun that drains Superboys of his power. and. Uh, left him paralyzed so knickknack is happy about that one 
I guess now he wants to find the Superboy gun and uh, just they're about to die. The hourglass is running out and there are two minutes to 2 a.m. And at this point, I'm going to learn that I was right. There was something about the Game Boy's uh, post-hypnotic suggestion because Clark picked this moment at two minutes of 2 a.m. to play with the Game Boy. Maybe he had writer's block and was looking to take a break for a few minutes. You, know, you do that sometimes. Sometimes you're really struggling. You have some writer's block and you just kind of get up, walk around, do something else for a second until you get your thoughts together. I've done it. But he puts on the Game Boy, sticks the headphones in, and that's where he hears Nick Knack's post-hypnotic suggestion. And now Superboy shows up. And Nick is irate that Superboy has found out and he rescued and that he rescued Andy and Lana at the last minute. Superboy uses his super breath and blows Nick headfirst into a table, which looks like it hurt, and then ties him up at super speed. And we're gonna see a lot of that, uh, Superboy tying people up at super speed in future episodes. And I like uh, the animation there. I don't think it's gonna get much better as the show goes on, but I do want to comment about Nick going headfirst into the table. There looks like it hurt, and for good measure, he destroys Nick's device with some well-choreographed punches to the television screen. So this episode ends with a platitude about how the good guys always win, and we get a grin from our three leads with uh, Gerard Christopher in the middle, and they're all smiling. And just from that and the fact that this was a clip show really sells that this would be a, would have been a better season finale than episode 24. As far as this episode goes, I really don't care for clip shows, but I understand why they're used. and. I don't, they're dead if Clark doesn't put the Game Boy on at just the right moment. So it's wrapped up very quickly because it needed to be. But at least this appearance of Knickknack wasn't wall-to-wall Gilbert Gottfried like the last one was. I kind of wonder if, uh, I don't know anything about the production order of the show, but since these were both kind of at the back end of the season, if uh, maybe these two episodes were kind of filmed back-to-back because they had the guest stars on hand, I don't know. But that's pretty much all I got for that one. Next time, we're going to finish off Season 2 with Johnny Casanova and the Case of the Secret Serum. Be a really fun fit in that one on the uh, episode graphic. And The Woman Called Tiger Eye. Till then, you want to leave feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to uh, join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And uh, if you don't mind, why don't you uh, drop me a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or... And that'll and that helps with the visibility of the show. Until next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Spring Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.2truefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.